in right now, and so he just told me to begin to pray about uh, what was in my heart. And so, uh, obviously, Jesus taught in parables. And uh, you're like, what does that mean? We don't use that word. It's a story. Jesus told stories, and he connected spiritual truths through stories so that what? So that we could understand what he was talking about. And so that was uh, a lot of what uh, Jesus did. The Bible tells us over and over and over again that to the multitudes, he would tell these stories But then in the private times, the disciples would come to him and ask him and say, hey, what were you talking about? Because it was kind of in code, if you will. And, uh, you know, and and so, but that is how Jesus taught. Uh, He taught with story. He taught so that we could connect to it. And that was the purpose. And so uh, as I was praying and just seeking the Lord about uh, what was in my heart to share, I really landed on uh, the, the parable of the seed or the farmer who sowed the seed. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Mark chapter 4. And we're going to primarily be in this passage of Scripture. The Scriptures will also be up there on the screen. I read out of the New Living Translation. So if you're reading a Bible different and you're like, what Bible is that? That's what I read out of. It's just my preferred preference. And since I'm the one with the microphone, that's the one I'm going to read out of today. And, um, but here in uh, Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 1, it says, Again, Jesus began teaching by the uh, lake shore. And it says, A very large crowd soon gathered around him. So he got into a boat, and he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. So we, many of you know this story is that Jesus simply, the Bible says that he cast out. He went out a little bit, and his sound or his voice began to amplify off of the water so the multitude of people could hear him. And it says in verse 2, it says, He taught them many stories in the form of parables such as this one. Verse 3 says, Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed, and as he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on the footpath, and the birds came and ate it. It says, other seed fell on the uh, shallow soil with underlying rock, and the seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plant soon uh, wilted under the hot sun. And uh, since it didn't have any deep roots, it died. It says, other seed fell among the thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. It says, still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, they grew, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as the seed That was planted. And Jesus in verse 9 here gives us an important statement. He says, Anyone with ears to hear, let him listen and understand. So, how many of you realize that just because something happens to cross across your eardrum doesn't mean that you've processed it? As a matter of fact, about 90% of what you hear, your mind filters as useless. Let that sink in for a second. 90% of what goes through your ear, your mind automatically says, unessential. Let's just get rid of that. Let's just move that out of the way. And so even Jesus is saying, just because you have ears, you need to make sure that you hear. He actually separates those two. We think, well, I heard that. How many men do I have in the house that your wife says, are you listening to me? And you're like, of course. And then she says, what did I say? Well, I heard you. Yeah, but you weren't listening, right? So... Do I have any ladies in the house whose husbands suffer from the same thing that I do? But yet Jesus says, look, we need to listen and what? Understand, comprehend. We need to what? Really grab hold of the truth that is being said. In other words, don't just dismiss it as like, well, that was a good sermon. Good job, pastor. Good job. Appreciate that. No, the word of God does not come just to what? Just to settle. It comes to transform. It comes to bring change. That's why God's word comes. And so here we see this where Jesus is talking. 
And he, he tells the disciples, he really gives four different criteria, if you will, of seed that is sown. Now, here, here's one of the things that we need to understand. It was the same seed on all the soil. It wasn't a different seed that made the difference. What made the difference was the soil that the seed landed in. And so, and, and I'm going to explain this in just a few moments as to how this really applies to us. But we need to understand that. Is it, and, you know, and here's, well, let me keep going before I get ahead of myself. Let me pick up in verse 13. Then Jesus says to the disciples, they, they're talking about it later. He says, understand the meaning of this parable. Or says, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? So we're in a series talking about the parables of Jesus. And Jesus says, if you can't figure this one out, not that it's the most important, but he said, there's a principle here that if you don't understand, you're going to not be able to connect the dots in every other parable or story that I've told you. Why? Because the kingdom of God is built on the principle of the seed. In Genesis, it says what? As long as the earth remains, there will be seed, time, harvest. A lot of times we say seed, time, and harvest. We want to put time and harvest together. But, you know, God is a God of process. In other words, you know, and it's this way in every area of our life. Every time we see God working, we want the instantaneous moment right now. And sometimes it is right now. But the thing that I have learned that the deepest works that God has done in me have come through process. It wasn't just in a moment. Now, I may think of it like, oh, well, God worked in that moment of my life. But when I look back, I realize, God, you've been up to this for a while. This wasn't as as instantaneous as I thought. And this is the way that the kingdom of God works. God plants seeds and they get watered and they produce harvest. And yet here Jesus is teaching and he says that you need to understand this parable because it's very important to everything else I'm going to tell you. So he goes on here in verse 14 and he says that the farmer plants seeds by taking God's word to other, to other people. So the the farmer takes what? God's word, God's truth, God's revelation, God's understanding to other people. And it says in verse 15 that uh, the seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come in uh, at once to take it away. Now, I'm going to explain what I believe these four different types of soil represent here in a moment. But in verse 16, it says, The seed that fell on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. So they hear the word, you come to church, you get excited, you're like, yes, God is my deliverer. Yes, God is my provider. Yes, God is my healer. And you're excited. Why? Because your heart has become connected. It's become uh, just grabbed hold of God's word. And you're like, yes, that's my promise. And if we're all honest, we've all done this. Exactly what I'm about to read is we get excited, but it says in verse 17, but since they don't have deep roots, they don't last. Now that sounds like a little bit of an insult. You're like, well, are you just saying that I'm not very spiritually deep, right? You ever heard that term? Anybody ever heard that term? You sure? I got like four people that said yes. It says they don't, but it goes on, verse 17, second part. It says, they fall away as soon as they have problems and are persecuted for believing God's word. So quite simply put, it's, the deepness is what? That as soon as you're challenged, you throw in the towel. The Bible says if we faint in the day of adversity, our strength is weak. And yet we receive the word with joy. Man, we were excited about where God's going to do something amazing. And then Monday morning hits. 
And you're like, what was pastor saying yesterday? (laughs) I know I was excited about it. I know it was good. But what does that look like on Monday? Or Thursday night when your kids are going crazy? See, we have to, what, hold to the faith that we claim. We have to hold to the seed. Why? Because a seed will produce, but a seed doesn't just sprout. How many of you remember like when you were in elementary school, you took like a bean of some sort and they put it in the, in the dirt and they made you put it out by the windowsill and they're like, something's going to grow. Well, I'm impatient by nature. It's a gift of mine. <laughs> right? It's one of my spiritual giftings. I'm impatient. Well, what did I want to do? I want to go dig the seed up and see if it's there. What's happening? Well, what did I do? I, I destroyed the process. Therefore, the seed died. Why? Because... Somebody said, your seed's not in there. Somebody stole it. I'm like, no, it is. See right here, right there. See, I got my seed. Verse 18 says, the seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out. Let me say it this way. The message is choked. By the worries of this life, the lure of wealth and the desire of other things, so no fruit is produced. You know, our life is not just about faithfulness. How many of you realize this? So many times we think, well, God, I'm faithful. I'm faithful. I come to church. I love you. I'm doing these things. Yes, but what about the fruit that's being produced? God is not going to ask us when we stand before him, were you faithful? He's going to ask you, were you fruitful? And that's different. So many times, I mean, even in my own mind, I have to wrestle with this and remember this and think about this, is that God is going to ask me, not how faithful, David, were you? He's going to say, David, how fruitful. What's the substance of your life? Because that's what's going to matter. And here it says that the word can be choked out by a few things. And we have to be careful. Why? Because we have an enemy who is constantly after the word. Why? Because the word is the power of God in our life. It's the the power to to be who God has called us to be. It's not in and of ourselves, but it is in his word that there is power. One of my favorite scriptures is Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is quick, it's active, it's powerful. I mean, it goes all the way and says, look, it can tell you why you do what you do. The motives of your heart. You know, you can do the right things, but for the wrong reasons. Pastor John was talking about this even a few minutes ago in the offering. You can give for the wrong motive. Motive matters. Matters greatly with God. And here we see this. And so it goes on here. And in verse 20, it says, The seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as planted. See, God is about return on investment. He plants a seed, but he wants a harvest. And so many times that we look at it, and many times we're like, Well, that just doesn't seem like God's doing anything. God, if you, you forgot about me, hey, I'm over here. I'm not sure if you're listening when I pray. I'm not sure if you're really, I mean, you know, I hear other people talk about their experience with you. And I just can't comprehend what they're talking about. But yet when we rightly understand God's word in our life and the role that it plays... See, here's the, the, the truth of it is that our experience with God in our personal hearts will never go farther than our understanding of his word. It never will. 
So if you want to know God at a deeper level, you're going to have to get into His Word. Why? Because He reveals Himself through His Word, and that Word becomes a seed. And You're like, well, I read that Scripture a thousand times. Read it a thousand and one. Because at some point, I promise you, revelation will come. That light bulb will click. And you're going to be like, that's what that's talking about. And I need it right now in this moment for this circumstance. Or it could be like this. You, the Bible says we can hide God's word in our heart. I can't tell you how many times that I've been going about life, just my day-to-day life, and a problem arises and a scripture rises. I didn't need it till that moment. It was just a seed. But that seed germinated and it began to, to grow. That's the way God's word works. Now, let me, let me give you just a couple definitions here that I believe can help us to understand where it talks about that the seed fell on hard soil. Well, what is that? That's a hardened heart. In other words, God's word is rejected. If I took seed and just threw it here on the stage, guess what? There's no soil. That seed, we could leave it laying here for months. Why? Because there's nothing to absorb that seed into. And that's what happens is that we can have a hardened heart towards the Lord. We can have a hardened heart towards the Word of God. You could be sitting here faithfully week in and week out and yet never receive God's Word for you. Even though you desperately need it. Even though I desperately need the Word of God. I can hear the same like, oh, I've heard this before. I've heard this message before. Well, maybe you need to hear it again. I mean, look, you know, and I say that as somebody who listens to a lot of preaching. I would think I would get tired of it, except that I see myself keep changing the more I listen to the word of God. It's amazing how it works. I know this, when I try to change, it's really hard. It is. I, I pretty much resolved that I am helpless to change myself. So that's why I need God. That's why I need his word. The second, uh, Condition of soil is this, is rocky soil. It's those who receive it, but they lose it simply because of a trial, a moment. They get tripped up in that moment because of that. The next one is that there's thorns, things that come in, like the Word of God is sown, but yet, let me say it this way, and and this applies to everybody. You're like, this doesn't apply to me. Yes, it does. We all got issues. And yet our issues can choke out the word of God, which was sent to deliver us. That's what the Bible says. He sent his word and healed us and delivered us out of all destruction. And yet we can choose, I say it this way, we can choose to stay dysfunctional. Why? Because it's exactly what, it's exactly what happens here. We lose the word because of distractions. Anybody else got some ADD in the house? I grew up in the wrong generation. I should have been in this generation because then I wouldn't have got a bunch of D's and F's on my conduct grade. I would have got far less spankings if that wasn't the case. But the problem was I'm easily distracted. Well, how many of us are spiritually distracted? We got things, life coming. You're like, oh, but you don't know my life. Here's what I can tell you. Everybody has life. Your life may not be like everybody else's, but look, we all face stuff. We do. No one's unique in that way. 
That's a lie of the enemy. But ultimately, he comes to distract us, what? So that no real fruit is ever produced. The last soil is the good soil. And it's those who guard the Word of God so that it will produce. You know, the Bible says is that we have a thief. Well, what do thieves do? They steal. The enemy, the devil, he's a thief. And he wants to steal the Word of God that's sown into our hearts. Now, I have a question for you. How many of you here are green thumb kind of people? Let me see your hands. You, you got to be... All right. Green, you got to be like, yes, I'm a, you need to be proud of this fact because you give life to things, right? Man, not very many of you, but I will say this. We can't be friends because I don't have a green thumb. So, and in truth, I'm really just jealous because I have what's, what I would consider a brown thumb. How many of you know what a brown thumb is? A brown thumb is every time I touch something, that's the color it turns, Right? It goes dead. So I do not have the gift, the ability of gardening. I think it's beautiful. I think it's awesome. I love to look at it. I just don't have that gifting. Let me share a story with you. When we lived in Kansas, we were there for a a number of years. We were youth pastors there. And we had this big, beautiful tree in the front of our house. Big, beautiful tree. It's probably 60, 70 years old. It was just an awesome, I don't remember what kind of tree it was. But as I was walking through, around in our front yard, I realized that I began to smell something. And I was like, did an animal die? I mean, that's what it smelled like. It was just nasty. And I began to look and begin to kind of, you know, just kind of look around the house, seeing if, you know, a cat had died or, you know, whoever knows what. And I couldn't find anything. And as I got closer to the front door, the smell got stronger and stronger and stronger. Well, I got to the back side of this very large tree. Like, I couldn't even wrap my arms around it. It was a massive tree, but it was beautiful. And... Um, you know, it's kind of like the highlight of my yard when you drove in. It was right there, and it was just this massive, beautiful tree. And I noticed that there was this foamy-looking stuff coming out of it. I mean, it looked like laundry detergent almost, like, you know, foamy-looking. But it smelled so bad, and I noticed that there was sap and all these things coming down. Well, I'm not a green thumb person, but I love my tree, and I didn't want anything to happen to it. But I didn't know what was wrong, so I took some pictures on my phone, and I drove over to the nursery or whatever you call those places. You green thumb people know what I'm talking about. Those places where you go to talk to the green thumb people. I took some pictures there. And so I went there and I said, look, I know nothing about this. I know how to rake leaves and I know how to cut grass. I can do that, but I don't know anything about this. Well, they looked at it and they said, oh, well, you've got such and such type of bug. And they said, if you don't do something, it's going to kill that tree. It'll literally eat the tree from the inside out. And I'm like, dang it, that's my big pretty, that's my money tree is what I like to refer to it because it is a pretty tree. But they told me how to fix the problem. And it went against everything in my mind that I thought made sense. They said, well, here's some pesticide. You go mix it in a five gallon bucket. And I want, and my thought is just take the concentrate and go pour it in the hole. Right? How do you fix a problem at the point of the problem? I'm going to burn them right out of the tree. But they said, no, 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 don't do that. They said, take it, pour it in a five-gallon bucket and slowly, you know, and fill it up with water and slowly pour it all around the tree about six feet from the base. Slowly, all the way around it. And they said, what will happen is, because if you pour all that in the tree, you will kill it. It'll, it, it'll overwhelm that tree. It'll kill it in a moment. It'll just be days. You'll kill it because it's such a powerful deal. But it says what will happen is that the soil around the tree will soak up the... This pesticide, the roots will take it. It will suck it up into the tree and it'll kill the, these beetles. 
And to my amazement, within three or four days, there was no more foam, no more stinky spell. Everything was back right, and our tree still stands today. So well, why do I tell you that? Because the tree was sick, but the solution was the soil. The tree couldn't fix itself, but the soil through the root system could fix that tree. See, the same is true for us. So many times we have problems and we're trying to do like what I would think. Go pour it right there where the problem is. We're trying to fix a problem that we can see, not realizing that our solution is actually in something that we can't see. And that's God's word in our life. See, the fact remains is that a tree or a person is only as healthy, which I'm big on that. I believe in healthy church. I believe in being healthy. And I don't mean like in a just a body kind of way. I mean in a heart, soul kind of way. But we can only be as healthy as what? As the soil of our heart. That's where God's word is sown is in our heart. So you can have a hardened heart. Let me say it this way. You can have a hardened heart. You can have um, a troubled heart. How many of you ever had a troubled heart? Of course. But you can also have a heart that's ready to receive God's word. You know, again, I'm not much of a, a gardener person, but I do know this. If you want your plant to live, you need to tend to the soil first. I, 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 know, I at least know that much. And so it's important. It's why Proverbs over in Proverbs 4, 23, it tells us that we're to pay attention to our hearts. And it says, it says, keep vigilant watch over your heart. That's where life starts. Now, Jesus said, look, I've come that you would have life and have it more abundantly. And yet here it says, keep vigilant watch over your heart. Why? Because that's where your life begins. So we have to, what, pay attention to what's going on in our heart, in our inner self, if you want to call it that. Why? Because that, other translators say, what, that's the direction or the course of your life. Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues, the direction of your life. If you look at your heart, you can tell your future. It's just a, it's just a principle. And so I want to give you a few areas. Well, let me say this real quick. You know, so many times we, we can reduce life to just a pursuit of more of er. Just whatever er. More whatever. I'll give you a few examples. I want to be richer. I want to be skinnier, healthier, happier. I want to be smarter, stronger. I want a nicer house. I want a nicer car. I want better kids. I want a better spouse. You know, and so, and what? We're trying to fix everything else, not realizing that the problem is in us. And one of the things, me and my wife just celebrated 15 years of marriage last week. And one of the things that we have learned in our 15 years of marriage is this, is that when I'm the most harsh with her, there's something in me that's not right. And because I know something's not right in me, I, I turn to her. And vice versa. We have a phrase that we like to say to one another, you need to go spend some time with Jesus. That's a common phrase in my home. Why? Because we need some Jesus. That's why. And so we don't get bent out of shape about it. That's just been our language for now 15 years. Because used to, like when we were newlyweds, we'd get mad. Why are you getting mad at me? You know, all those types of things. And so we just found out that you need to go spend some time with Jesus because we knew what it meant. Because we knew they were right, which is the hardest time in the world to receive that. Like, I know you're right, but I don't want to listen to you. 
So where, does this, where do those types of things come from? They come out of our hearts. I want to give you a few, just a couple of areas. There's a bunch, but I want to give you just a few in the next few moments together of things that affect our heart, the way we see things, the way we perceive things, the way we process things. And so the first one is this, is that our heart can be affected and we can even lose the, really the purpose of God's life because of the, or God's purpose and His Word in our life for this is comparison. We compare ourselves to someone else or what somebody else has, but there's really only two outcomes from comparison. Neither are good, but there's really only two outcomes. Number one is inferiority. Well, I'm not like them. I don't have what they have. If I had a better marriage like they did, well, if I just had this or if I just had that, so you feel inferior. Well, when you feel inferior, you also feel that you have no way out. But the other side is, I believe equally as dangerous and maybe not more. So you can become inferior by comparison or you become superior by comparison. And that's where pride comes in. See, we have to be careful comparing. Why? Because it affects our heart. It robs us truly. What comparison does, it robs us of our joy. It robs us of our peace. It robs us of everything that God said is ours as his children. But comparison will take from us. Proverbs 14.30. It says, A peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. It says, But jealousy is like a cancer in the bones. Let me read you another translation. It says, A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy rots the bones. Jealousy. Well, you know, if you never compared, you'd never be jealous. I know that's a revelation right there. Like you could have amen right there because that was a big one. Not really, but if you never, where does jealousy come from? Because you compared what somebody else had that you were lacking. And now you're like, I want that. So comparison can steal God's word in our life. See what I believe what really happens when we begin. And and what I would say is falling into a comparison trap. We are actually limiting our ability to see ourselves for the way that God has created us to be. Guess what? God did not create me to be John Welch. I love Pastor John. Absolutely. But if I try to be him, guess what? I'm not me. And if I try to be him, everything that's even strong in my life, I will do away with in a pursuit of being him. So I'm not even authentic to who God created me to be trying to be Somebody else. So when we compare, we lose sight of who we are. And so we have to be careful. Let me give you another example. Another area, and this is a big one. It's in the area of forgiveness. That dreaded little word, forgiveness. Why is unforgiveness so important? Because unforgiveness will lead to bitterness. Bitterness leads to offense. You don't want to be offended. Why? Because when you take something to the place of offense, it's, it's way beyond just I'm upset about this, I'm bitter about this, or whatever. It's way deeper. It's way deeper than that. See, forgiveness means this. It means to release someone from a guilty charge, but this is the one I want you to catch. Forgiveness is truly surrendering my right to hurt you for hurting me. I no longer reserve the right to hurt you because you hurt me. I release you of that, of that hurt. 
And so I'm letting you off the hook. That's what real forgiveness actually looks like. See, forgiving is not about forgetting. It is about letting go of hurt, though. I mean, you know, there are people that do not have the best motives. Don't keep putting yourself in the line of fire. But I'm not going to live in a place of hurt. I'm not going to live wounded. Let me read you Proverbs chapter 18, verse 19. It says, An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. That's a pretty weighty statement. An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. And arguments can separate uh, friends like a gate that's locked with bars. Hebrews says it this way. Hebrew, I won't read it, but Hebrews 12, 15 says that we need to be careful to not even allow a root of bitterness to come into our heart. Why? Because it says not only does it affect you, but it will defile many. Our unforgiveness doesn't just affect us. That's a lie of the devil. But it does affect many as well. Here's another area. This is a big one too. I just picked a few of the larger ones that I could... There's a lot, but wrong talk and negativity... Wrong talk and negativity. See, by nature, I'm a pessimist. I'm a half-empty half guy. And yet I've had to learn that that doesn't really line up with God's Word. And it definitely doesn't help my heart. As a matter of fact, it does quite the opposite. And so I've had to allow God's Word to come in and to change the way that I think. To, to change the way that I see a situation, that I don't have a problem, I, I have an opportunity to find a solution. Because if all you do is see problems, you just got a bunch of problems. But now if you have an opportunity to find a solution, you may say, I don't have a clue what to do, but I know the one who does. And I'm going to pray, and God, Father, you said that you would give wisdom to anybody that would ask for you for wisdom, so I need some wisdom. What's wisdom? Knowing what you don't know. That's wisdom. And God has done this on some of the most menial things in my life. Just You ever have those things just irritate you? Just get on your nerves a little bit? They're not spiritual. They have nothing to do with eternity. They just bother you. Like, why does this do this? Why does it? I've had the Lord speak to me on some of those things. If you would do this, this, and this, it fixed it. Man, God, you're smart. Of course he is. I'm just not that smart. That's why I need God to help me. See, negative, because here's the, and this is the process that this works in our lives, is that negative emotions come from negative thought processes. So negative words, what? Come from negative thought processes. So let me say it this way. If you'll fix your thoughts, you'll fix your emotions. How do I fix my thoughts? With the Word of God. See, saying the right things by itself isn't enough. We've got to, what, guard ourselves from saying wrong things. Words are seeds that we sow. So it's not just about saying the right things at the right time. No, it's about, I'm a, the Bible says to put a guard on my mouth. Like deadbolt that joker shut because I'm liable to say something goofy. Guard my mouth. Proverbs twenty one twenty three, the Amplified says this. It says, the tongue can bring death or life, and those who love to talk will reap the consequences thereof. Proverbs 18, 21 says, the tongue can bring death or life, and those who love to talk will reap the consequences. 
One translation says, whether good or bad. You like to talk? There's Why? It's a seed that we're sowing. Well, I want to make sure that I'm sowing God's seeds into my life. Why? Because I like when God's involved in my life. Things seem to work a lot better. When David's in charge, not so much. A lot of frustration. But yet, when I'm willing to, to line my words up, my thoughts with the Word of God, things go much better. So do you see obstacles or do you see opportunities? How do you talk about it? How do you think about it? Let me give you a, a, it's a bit of a famous quote, if you will. But it says, watch your thoughts, for they become words. Watch your words, they become actions. Watch your actions, they become habits. Watch your habits, they become character. And watch your character, for it becomes your destiny. See the connection? Watch your thoughts, because it leads to your destiny. There's a connection to the end of your life, just by the words that you say. Let me give you the last one real quick. It's an anxiety, stress. I know none of you have ever an anxious thought. You're never uneasy. You just have the peace that passes all understanding all the time. You just live in bliss place and just it's a wonderful place to be. No, anxiety steals from you. It's a thief. It's coming to steal God's word. It steals your strength, your boldness, your faith. It takes your courage. It does. Here's what anxiety does. It makes you fearful and faithless. Anxiety makes you fearful, makes you anxious. It makes you worry about tomorrow when tomorrow's not here, but yet it robs today's faith to see God work tomorrow. That's what anxiety does. Philippians chapter 4 gives us some understanding here. I'm wrapping up here with this last moment here, but it says in verse 6 of Philippians 4, says, don't worry about anything. Yeah, but. But God, you don't know. God says, don't worry about anything instead. In other words, by God saying, don't worry, he's not saying don't do anything. He's saying, instead of worrying, do this. He says, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. So be thankful. Remember that the same God who has been faithful will be faithful. The same God who delivered will deliver. How do you know who God? Look at his his track record. It says that when we get focused on God and remember what he's done for us, it says then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace will guard our hearts. Is that word again? Guarding our heart. And minds as we live in Christ Jesus. First Peter chapter uh, 5 verse 7 says, Give all of your worries and your cares to God, for He cares about you. Other translations would say it this way, Cast all of your care. Now we don't really understand what that word means. Cast, just like, well, you mean like throwing a football? Like just kind of, like, you know, I'm trying to teach my son to play catch. He gets the throw part, we're still working on the catch part. But this word, cast here actually means this. It means to violently throw throw, or to fling something with great force. You ever carried like a, a heavy sack of, I don't know, whatever it may be. And you're carrying it and you're carrying it and you finally get to where you're going and you just fling it off. You're like, oh my gosh. Seemed like the more I walked, the heavier it got. Yeah. It did. But you know, anxiety does that to us. The longer we walk with it, the heavier it gets. 
That's, that's the door of depression, the longer you live there. And, and look, that's part of my story. God is a God who delivers of depression. That's not a burden that we were meant to carry. But I've had to learn how to what? Not take an anxious thought. Say, God, I may not have this, but you've got it. God, I'm not taking the weight of this. It's yours. I'm your child, and you told me, bring it to you. Lay it at your feet. So that's what I'm going to do, and I'm not going to pick it back up. That's the context of this. And so, you know, even as we talk about the Word of God in our life, there's, there's these areas that are so easy for us to fall into and slip into. And, and just the enemy is so subtle and so crafty. He gets us to look at somebody else, what they have that we don't, and all of a sudden, what? He's stealing the Word while we're not looking. He's like a magician. He's like, look over here, because I'm going to do something over here. So he does that. Through comparison, he does that through uh, anxiety. He does it through our, our, our thought life. If I can just get you saying the wrong things. Because here's the truth. If you say something loud enough and long enough, eventually you believe it to be fact. You're, why? You've self-convinced yourself that it's true. You ever been around somebody that says an old story from way back? And you know and they believe that happened. Other people are going, I don't think that's quite the details. Like, I think you embellished... But they've said it so many times, they now believe it to actually be true. Well, the same thing can happen in our thought life. We can buy and just the enemy comes and whispers. And we grab hold of it, man. We start saying it. Nope, I can't do that. I can't do that. Nope, you got the wrong person. I can't do that. You got to stop saying that. You got to start saying, I can do all things through Christ. Nope, devil, you're not going to limit me. I'm not going to limit me. I'm going to be who God has called me to be. I don't care how much I think he made the wrong choice. I'm going to be who he called me to be. Those areas of unforgiveness, you got to get it right. It may not be getting it right with that person necessarily because it takes two to walk in peace, but it only takes one to forgive. It takes one to forgive. And you have to to choose. I'm going to let you off the hook for hurting me. I'm not going to live in that place of hurt. We serve a God that heals. We serve a God who restores We serve a good father. That is who he is. And that's what he wants for you this morning. Amen. Let me pray over you.